time, we kept moving because Mark is the gospel that keeps moving. It, it's, it just cranks out the stories. It's emphasizing Jesus as a servant. It's telling the story of Jesus through the mouth of Mark, probably through the eyes of Peter, who was a mentor to Mark. Last week, we saw chapter 15, the most important event that ever happened in history when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. But chapter 16 tells the rest of the story, and that's extremely important too, and that is his resurrection. He didn't stay dead. He was dead for three days, and he rose from the dead. And had he not risen from the dead, we would never know if his death had done anything for us or not. And the resurrection of Jesus is what ultimately caused his disciples to have a message to share with others. It's what gives us a message to share as we go out in this world to affect others and to share the gospel with them. The, 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 the uh, final part of the good news of the gospel. Now, Mark chapter 16, in order to cover this chapter the basic theme of the chapter is believe it or not. There's a lot about those who didn't believe and about those who do believe. Now, there are people who have argued that the 16th chapter of Mark is questionable and from verse 9 uh, and following that it really on through um, the end through verse 20, there are people who say that it doesn't belong in the original there are two older manuscripts, uh, Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus, that don't contain this last section. And those are pretty old manuscripts, and so there are people who think it shouldn't be in there because of that. However, it's in the vast majority of manuscripts. Not only that, church fathers quoted from this passage back in the 2nd and 3rd century, and so... Um, personally, I believe that it is, but I'm not going to defend it or argue it. Um, that would be contrary to the message of the Word. Just think about this. Who would add a big chunk to the Bible? Now, you can see how when people are copying a document, they might skip a page or leave something out, but to add a big chunk like this is really far-fetched to me. The reason people don't think it's, don't want to believe that it's in the original is because there are some things that are said in here that have been misused or twisted to either teach that you have to be baptized to be saved, and, and then the, the wackos who handle poisonous snakes and everything, there's a reference in here that they use to defend that, but we shouldn't let lunatics decide our textual criticism. Well, personally, I believe the Bible, and I, and I believe that this is a part of it. I uh, don't want to argue with you about it. Something else that, I don't, that I'm not going to go into, because we've done it with a couple of the other Gospels, is when it comes to the resurrection accounts of Jesus, each Gospel writer um, tells it from a different perspective and tells different stories and different occasions, things that took place. And so to get the full picture, you have to put them all together. Now, there are some people who look at them and, and see apparent contradictions between them. And I could go to a, through a long and involved process of showing you a harmony of the Gospels and show you how all these events 
fit together, but I'm not going to defend God's word. We're just going to take it at face value and go through it. So there are plenty of good books that'll do that harmony for you, but, you know, or, you know, there are people who reject the the whole New Testament based on the fact that there are different um, perspectives that are presented in the Gospels. But again, this chapter just kind of lays it out. You can believe it or you can not believe it. You don't have to believe what the Bible says. For me personally, just so that you understand my bias, I believe in what we call the inerrancy of Scripture. I don't think there are mistakes in the Bible. I know there are some textual things that maybe someone copied wrong or whatever, and there are interpretations that sometimes I don't understand exactly how to interpret a particular passage. There are a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand. But I choose to believe it all. Um, I choose to believe that the leather is genuine when it says that on the cover. because, And here's why. There are people who think that, well, you know, the Bible contains the Word of God, but, you know, it's not. Some of it probably has mistakes in it and things like that. That wouldn't bother me so much if, if it weren't for the fact that how do I decide what's a mistake? How do I decide what I'm going to believe and what I don't believe? The vast majority of people today who have a weak view of Scripture, it's mainly because they, there are some things in Scripture that they like, and so they believe it. There are other things in Scripture that they think, I don't know, I don't like the way that sounds, so I don't believe that. They pick and choose. I am not able to pick and choose, and here's why. If I do that, I will only pick the parts of the Bible that confirm that I'm a great guy. And anything in the Bible that says I'm messing up, I'll go, no, it couldn't mean that. And so there are people who, you know, say that, oh, you know, you can't believe everything in the Bible. Some of it just people made up. And, you know, usually these people don't like much of what Paul wrote because they think he is a sexist and he's, you know, a messed up, you know, maybe he got hit in the head with rocks too many times when he was being stoned and whatever. But, you know, we can't really take seriously what he says. And then when Jesus says things that sound warm and fuzzy, oh yeah, Jesus said that, but when he talks about hell, oh no, you know, Jesus wouldn't say something like that. Well, I'm not capable of, and I really don't want to write my own Bible. If I really wanted to do that, I would do what Thomas Jefferson did, write my own Bible, you know, but I need a book that can sit in judgment on me, and I need a book that'll tell me when I'm wrong, so I just choose to believe it. That's where I'm coming from. Now, as we look at Mark chapter 16, we're going to see people who believed and people who didn't, witnesses to the events that happened after Jesus rose from the dead. And one of the first things we notice, and remember last week we talked about Mark having a unique perspective because he was raised in a single-parent household, raised by his godly mother, didn't have a father in the picture, Peter, as far as we know, didn't have a father, at least, you know, later in life in the picture. And you'll notice in Mark chapter 16, a big emphasis on the women who were around witnesses to the resurrection, Um, the godly position of some of these women. And that's important for a couple of reasons. For one thing, 
Somebody who's raised by a mom appreciates what a mom does when she has to be mom and dad. And so it would, it would be a natural thing to call attention to the value of moms. And so Mark does that here. But also it's interesting because if you were trying to make up a gospel and make people believe it, the last thing you would do in those days is have your key witnesses be women. In those days, a woman couldn't even testify in court because they were thought to be flighty and emotional and inconsistent and flaky and, and well, women. And, <laughs> and yet, when it came to the resurrection, Jesus chose to reveal himself to women. And it was a woman who saw him first after the resurrection. And it does let you know, hey, nobody was trying to cook this up. If you wanted to fake people into believing in the resurrection, the last thing you would do is take the most undependable witnesses and have them be the key witnesses. But as we look through here also, notice you don't see people who had great faith from the beginning. Now, you'd think, we've been studying Mark, and we've seen that Jesus told them repeatedly, I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Now, there are people who say that the whole resurrection was trumped up because of Jesus making those predictions. But as you read it, it's obvious. They didn't, they weren't expecting that to happen. Whatever Jesus said about rising from the dead, they didn't take it seriously. It blew right past them because his followers were not going to the grave anticipating, oh, I hope he rose from the dead, this will be cool. They were going thinking that he was gone, that he was dead. That's not a good way to start a conspiracy and build up a, a, a phony trumped up belief in a resurrection is to have a bunch of people who don't believe start in the whole thing. So let's look beginning with verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, she was the one who um, Jesus had delivered seven demons out of her. Her life was just absolutely transformed and changed, and so she stayed close with the other women who hung around with Jesus and the disciples and ministered to them. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James. This is another Mary. There are a bunch of Marys in the Bible. This was the mother of James. He's called James the Less. He's one of the disciples that we don't know too much about, but he was probably a short guy because he's like called Little James. And James, the brother of John, was called, you know, the greater James, some of them called, but meaning he was the tall one and, and James the Less was the shorter James. And so... His mom, Mary, was there, and Salome was there. She was the mother of James and John, the two disciples who were brothers, sons of Zebedee. Salome was also probably the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So anyway, these ladies came, and they, brought, they bought spices that they might come and anoint the body of Jesus, basically to complete the embalming process. They brought nice-smelling things, not because they thought he was going to rise from the dead, but because they knew he was dead. 
he was totally dead, and so we better get some nice-smelling stuff in there for obvious reasons. Very early in the morning, though, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had just risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? They didn't plan ahead. Now, in those days when there was a tomb, there was an opening in a cave, and then there was a, if you've been to Israel, you've seen it there even at the, at the tomb where we believe Jesus was buried. There's like a, a stone gutter that runs alongside the door of the cave, and they would have a big round disc of a rock that would sit in that gutter. And, you know, once you'd get it moving, you could roll it over the mouth of the, of the tomb, and it would keep animals from getting in and things like that. But big old stones to cover the cover the door and so it occurred to them as they were heading down there oh no how are we going to get it open we're you know we're ladies we're not going to be able to do that and so when they looked up they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large so they entered the tomb and they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Now, if you look at the, the tomb that, that we believe Jesus was buried in, when you, you come in the main door, there's a main little foyer, and then off to the right side is the little room where the bodies would be laid. And you can see the, the spot where one body had been laid because it was all prepared. And by looking at other Gospels, we know that there were two angels that were there, one on one end and one on the other. But if you just came in and looked into that room, you wouldn't be able to see the one on the left side because there's a, there's a little partition that's there, but you would see the one on the right. And so they came in, and here's this angel, and they were, they were scared. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Check it out. This is where they put him. He's not here. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said to you. Now it's interesting that he said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Some people think that the reason he said that is because when Peter denied Christ three times when the cock crowed, remember in Mark 14, that at that point, now he wasn't a disciple anymore. He had blown it, and so now it's like the disciples and Peter. But let's face it, all the disciples had run, bailed. And so, so I, I don't think that was the case. The whole thing is, Peter was the guy who was, had the biggest mouth and was the most you know, boisterous about, I will never deny you all always you can count on me even when you can't count on these other guys and so peter was a guy who was so sure of himself and then when when he had denied christ it it just devastated him no doubt to think back on it and it was embarrassing and he was probably feeling like man if jesus rose from the dead he's going to be mad at me and so the lord through this angel just wanted to send a message that Peter, you're a part of this. Don't worry. You don't have to be afraid to face me. And John's gospel tells about Jesus taking Peter 
for a walk along the Sea of Galilee there and just kind of re- reminding him that he's calling him to feed his sheep and, and that he still has a, a job for him to do. So here it's just, he's just mentioning him. Now you'd expect this to be in Mark's gospel because Mark knew what Peter had told him and that obviously meant a lot to Peter and, and Peter passed the word along to Mark. And so they said, go tell him, you know, You'd think the ladies at this point would have been stoked. Jesus is gone. They say he's alive. He's going to meet you later in Galilee. But in verse 8, they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. For they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So the first people to get the word were like, nah. I don't know if I believe it or not, but nobody's going to believe me saying this. And so they kind of kept it to themselves. Now, Mary Magdalene, who was one of these, apparently, after they kind of ran off, she came back into the garden. She didn't have a family and didn't have anyone to go run to. And the other gals did, had concerns, no doubt, at home. So Mary Magdalene's by herself in the garden, and we know that she came and actually saw Jesus personally and didn't recognize him at first, but when he called her by her name, Mary, she knew that it was him, and she came and hung on to him. You remember, you remember that story. He said, let, let me go, Mary. Well, verse 9 says, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. So she was the first one to see him alive. And she went and told those who had been with him. As they mourned and wept, they were all bummed because he was dead. And she came running and said, hey, he's alive. Now, no doubt at this time, she also said, the girls and I went down there earlier and an angel said he was alive, but I went back and he was. I saw him. I talked to him. I hung on to him. Verse 11 When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they were thrilled. No, they did not believe. They heard it. The story was probably confirmed about what the angel had said, but they didn't believe. Now, after that, he appeared in another form. So he probably could take on kind of a different appearance and make himself recognizable or not, perhaps. But he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. Those were the two disciples that he met on the road to Emmaus. You remember what happened with that story where they walked along and they were talking to him and he's like, so what's new? And they said, what's new? You haven't heard? Jesus, we thought he was going to be the Messiah, but they killed him. And Jesus began to talk to them. And ultimately, they sat down to have bread together. And as he broke the bread, they recognized that it was him. Perhaps the way he would tear bread, perhaps it was the scars on the palms of his hands as he, as he tore the bread that they recognized. And, and so they knew it was him. And it says that he told them all about himself from from the whole Old Testament and went through that whole, that whole story and, and then he vanished. So that's these guys, two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. 
Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table there in the upper room in Jerusalem. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So now we know that Jesus came to the upper room at least twice because the first time he came and revealed himself and they thought he was a ghost and he said, no, come on, I mean, does a ghost have flesh and bones like I do? And Thomas wasn't there at the time. The other disciples told Thomas about it, and he said, I'm not going to believe it until I can put my finger in the hole in his hand, until I can put my hand in the wound in his side. I am not going to believe that he has risen. And so Jesus appeared a second time in the upper room when Thomas was there. And he goes, hey, Thomas, want to put your finger in my hand? Want to look, there's my wound, go ahead. And Thomas fell on the ground and said, my Lord and my God. And so it was on one of those occasions when then Jesus kind of chewed the disciples out. And he probably told them, you know what, I told you I was going to die, and I told you I was going to rise from the dead. Then people go to the tomb, and it's empty, and an angel says, I've risen from the dead, and you don't believe it. Then Mary sees me, she's hanging on to me, you come back, you don't believe it. Then I go with the disciples on the road to Emmaus and I tell them all about myself and they see my hands and they, and they come and tell you and you don't believe it. And then Thomas, the other guys see me right here in this room and you don't believe it. What is up with you guys? Why don't you believe? Why can't you accept the obvious? Why can't you accept the truth about what's happened to me? I really have risen from the dead. Can we get that straight? But again, some people believe and some people don't, and it's the same today. There are some people who are absolutely convinced of the resurrection. There are other people who aren't convinced. And there's not much you can tell people to make them believe. Probably if they saw him themselves, certain people just would never accept it and would never believe. Arguing with people about this is generally fruitless. Now, there may be some people here today who don't believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. And, you know, I can't fathom that. It's not that I understand all about it. What I can't figure out is why a whole group of people who were completely skeptical who didn't expect him to rise, who wouldn't even believe it at first when they saw him, when they were all kinds of witnesses. And then they said, okay, he rose from the dead. And you go, yeah, but people say all sorts of things. Yeah, but they don't die for all sorts of things. All of these people, almost all of them ended up being martyred. And all they would have had to do to save their life was to go, okay, maybe I was seeing things. Maybe Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Or for one guy to say, we all cooked it up, we thought it would be cool to start a new religion where all the followers of the religion get killed. We thought that would be popular, but you know, we knew it would hurt us, but somewhere down the road, Christian television would come along and people could make a lot of money. And it would. How can you believe it? I can see Christianity today and see how people make it up. I mean, I... You, you can watch Christianity today and you can see a lot of those people don't really believe what they're saying. They're just cashing in. But in those days, it killed you 
to believe it. Why in the world would anyone do that? I can't. I don't get it. But the truth is, I believe it. If you don't, okay. You have a right to not believe it, just like they did in those days. But look at what Jesus said next. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, he isn't saying that you had to be baptized to be saved. He was identifying baptism with believing. There are people today who teach that baptism is something that you should do to babies. I think the idea is you better, you better baptize them now because when they get a little bit older, they'll be saying no. And so it's kind of like baby dedications, you know? It's like you better dedicate them when they're really young because when they get a mind of their own, they, you know, they're going to be squawking and they're going to ruin your pictures. But So that's what people think. But what the Bible always teaches is that baptism is for people who believe. That if you believe in him, then that's when you should be baptized. Baptism flows forth from belief. If you believe in Jesus, you believe he died and rose from the dead, you should certainly be baptized. He commands it. It doesn't mean that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. It's that if you believe him and you obey him, why wouldn't you want to take that step? So it's a symbol of identifying with him and his death, burial, and resurrection, and it was the way that people would signify. Baptism in their day was sort of like what an altar call is somewhat in our day of showing, hey, I'm in. Count me in, I believe. But Jesus draws a line in the sand, and he does this, and it's disturbing. It's controversial. It's offensive, But Jesus always did that. He said, made the most radical statement ever, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's the one who claimed that he was the only way to the Father. If you don't believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. Pretty exclusive statement. I think we would all agree. And Jesus here says, you go tell people, What happened? You tell them that I died for their sins. I was buried. I rose again. I'm alive today. You've met me. You've seen it. You go tell people. And people who believe, they're going to be saved. People who don't believe, he who does not believe, will be condemned. Jesus says a lot of very unfriendly things about people who reject his salvation. Jesus taught very clearly that there's a place of eternal punishment for people who reject the salvation that he offers. Now, people don't like talking about that today. It's very seeker-unfriendly, and you know it might give people the wrong idea. Hey, it gives people the right idea. Because what goes along with the gospel is there are people who believe and there are people who don't. And you can be a person who believes or you can be a person who doesn't. But don't think you can be somewhere in between. All of these disciples who struggled with belief and the witnesses who saw the empty tomb, those who heard the account, they all at some point had to decide, do I believe? And 
He said, he who believes and they follow through on that, they're going to be saved. But he also says, he who does not believe will be condemned. Now that is the message that Jesus Christ has given each of us to walk away with and to carry into this whole world. It's called the Great Commission. And he says, you come to a point where you decide either I died and rose from the dead or I didn't. If I died and rose from the dead, you go out there and you tell people. Now, God has different ways for each of us to do that. For you, that might mean telling your neighbor or telling people at your work or sharing it with your family or whatever. For others, God is calling them literally to go to other places in the world to bring this good news of the gospel. I believe that we're all called to have a responsibility for the whole world. That's why we put such an emphasis on supporting missions and encouraging people to go out and short-term missionary opportunities and things like that. Hey, this is what you do when you believe. If you don't believe, you're condemned. If you do believe, you're told to spread the word that Jesus Christ is alive. Now, it, it comes across, because people are so you know, inoculated today with a real wishy-washy sort of so-called gospel, when you just say the truth, it comes across really offensive to people. You know, and I, I know first service I was explaining this, and I, as I was appealing to people and saying, hey, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ today and get to know him. He, he really rose from the dead. But I said... If you don't believe, then you can go to hell. And everybody's like, oh, you know. But it's not like, I don't want anybody to go to hell. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. But I care enough to tell you that that's what the Bible says happens to people who reject the salvation that's in Jesus Christ. Now, again, if you think I'm nuts, then don't be offended. I, I saw a thing recently where... Um, Penn Jillette, he's a magician and comedian, Penn and Teller uh, fame. And he's a well-known atheist. But there's a clip on YouTube that if you're YouTube capable, and I would encourage you to just look up the, the, where Penn Jillette talks about when a guy gave him a Bible. Because it was a really touching thing to me. He, he's, he's sharing and he said, a guy came backstage after one of his shows and he said, Mr. Gillette, can I talk to you for a minute? And he goes, sure. And he said, I want to give you this Bible. And he said, I, I just want to tell you straight out. He goes, I, I love your shows. You're a very talented person, but I, I want to just tell you that, that Jesus died for you. I want... He goes, basically, I'm trying to proselytize you. That's what, that's what Penn said. And he said the guy wrote in the Bible three or four of his phone numbers, said, if you ever want to talk to me, you can call me, and here's the thing. And, and, and you'd think he, Penn Jillette would joke about something like that, but he said, you know what? I really respected that. He said, you know what I don't respect? Is somebody who would believe that I'm going to hell if I don't accept Jesus? And they don't even bother telling me. 
He said, if, if somebody believes this, they ought to proselyte. They ought to tell people about it. And he said, it really got me thinking. Now, I think of how many times we feel like, ooh, if I tell people what we really believe, they're going to think it's weird. Like the ladies. I, yeah, the angel talked to me. I better not tell anybody. It's just too crazy. And here, Jesus Christ has given us a new life. Our lives were a mess, trashed, and, and, and he has given us all that we could ever need and blessed us in so many ways and gave his life for us. And we have discovered he's alive. He, he rose from the dead, and yet we think, well, I don't want to tell people. Might offend them, might scare them away. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of finding out that there's people that sit here every week in our church and they don't ever get the idea that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and you either believe that and are saved or you reject that and you're condemned. And if all I do is tell people you know, how to have a happy life and how to have a good marriage and how to improve your communications and all that other stuff, or even the theological stuff about, okay, now, where do we believe this about this text and what this word means and everything? Jesus didn't go into all that. What he goes into is, you guys have a message. You've seen me now. You're convinced, I think, that I'm alive. Now you go out in the world and you tell people that. And they'll be saved. But you let them know, too, they're condemned if they reject that truth. He goes on to say in verse 17, these signs will follow those who believe. Now that it doesn't say that every time and in every way these people will become invincible, but he says when you share the gospel, some amazing things are going to happen, and here are some of them. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. Paul did that in Acts 28. A poisonous snake came out of the firewood and bit him, and they thought he would die, and he just shook it off and kept talking, and then they thought he was a god. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Some of you have been to other countries and drank stuff and got away with it. <laughs> They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So Jesus is saying, you tell people that I'm alive. And when you do that, amazing things are going to happen. I am going to work. I'm going to protect you. And how many of us who have, who have just shared God's love with people, we've seen that happen. We've seen things happen that you can't explain any other way. God protected us. God led us and guided us. We run into somebody out of the blue that God wants us to talk to. We, we're, we're protected and preserved or we're talking to somebody and all of a sudden we say something and we're like, I didn't even know I knew that. How did that come out that way? Miracles happen when you obey him and you tell people the good news. We cannot get distracted from the gospel. If all we're doing is talking to people about politics or defending our faith or what, whatever we're doing, it can't take away from 
calling people's attention to the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. That is our message. And when we declare that message, amazing things happen. He goes on to say, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Wow. And so, that's it. Believe it or not, that's what it comes down to. Jesus is alive. If you believe it, you need to be a part of telling others. If you don't believe it enough to tell anybody about it, you don't believe it. You can sit there and go, like the ladies, and go, yeah, that was pretty cool. Remember when we thought we saw that angel and he said that stuff? No, if you really believe it, you're going to tell people. And, and that's a challenge to all of us. But I know in a group this size, there are probably people here who have not believed. And maybe, maybe this just sounds preposterous. You're going, man, I wandered into this church and seemed okay, people were nice, but then there's this fundamentalist thing about hell and blah, 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 blah. And I, you know, sorry. But I'm not sorry because I'm doing what the living Christ told me to do as faithfully as I know how to do it. And maybe there's somebody here today who there's something inside you that's just saying, oh my goodness, all of a sudden, this is starting to make sense. You know, you've been worrying about how could a whale swallow, swallow a man and, and, you know, how could the earth be this age or how could this happen or how come this contradicts that? Deal with this. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if there's something in your heart that's starting to feel like maybe that's true, maybe I do believe, then that's God speaking to you. That's Jesus appearing to you and drawing you to himself. He does that from within. You can tell when he's doing it. If you just can't wait to get out of here because you TiVo'd the first football game and you want to make sure you watch the second, that, that's cool. You know, that's fine. But if God's speaking to your heart, don't leave today and not know where you stand with him. After the service, there'll be people up here in the front who would love to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus Christ. And you'll find, like we have, he really is alive. And he really will save you. And he really wants to turn your life completely around. That's his heart for you. Believe it or not, that's it. Those of us who have believed have found out it's true. People who don't believe, there's nothing I can say that's going to make them believe. But if there's something nagging away in your heart, where for the first time thinking about this you've been uncomfortable I think God's speaking to you. I think you need to take a closer look. He's appearing to you, even as he did to them. Today is the day for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I hope after the service you'll 
you'll come up and do that. Be the best decision you've ever made. But it is your call. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for revealing yourself to us. I know I couldn't have believed unless you drew me to yourself. For all of us, we heard the stories and then all of a sudden, we realized this is true. This is real. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for revealing your truth to us. Now, Lord, for those who have believed, you've told us what to do. To tell others the truth. Help us to get off the stick and and do that. If it means that we may take a trip to somewhere else in the world, if it means we give a little extra to support those who do, if it means we just start opening our mouth with people we care about or with strangers that we meet, whatever it takes, we want to be obedient to you because we realize there are two groups of people. You drew a line in the sand. Those who believe and obey and those who don't really and are condemned. We want to be on the right side of that. Help us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.